0: tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to episode 35 of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast, and I am so excited to introduce another amazing guest on the show today. And today I have Amrit, and she is going to be talking Not only about anxiety, which I know a lot of you guys struggle with, but I'm extra excited for her to be on the show today because she is also going to be sharing her personal breakup story. And I think, you know, you guys hear a lot about my personal breakup story, but I am excited to be able to share someone else's story and how she was able to work through it. Not only using her own advice that she helps clients with, but also her own journey into learning new tools and learning how to incorporate them into her life during a really, really tough time. So Amrit, thank you so much for coming on. And I'd love if you can, you know, introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. I am a holistic health and anxiety coach, I, um, I help women to change their relationship with their bodies, minds, and spirits, their triggers so that they can find their own intuitive voice and live from that place. Um, so I love what I do. It's amazing to watch these women really commit to aligning themselves with their higher selves and then going forth from that, like magic just kind of unfolds in their lives. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I feel honored to be able to be a channel or a vessel or whatever for that while I'm on this earth.
0: (laughs) Well, I've been, you know, kind of following you from afar, loved your content. And then I noticed, you know, the shift in your content when you opened up about your breakup. And I just always admired not only your openness and your vulnerability, but just being able to share exactly where you're at and where you, where you had been struggling with. Um, so I was very excited to to have you on the show. so I'd love for you to first you know talk about I think when we land in roles like this, like what you do, what I do, it always stems from, I believe, a personal experience mm-hmm. of something that you were able to overcome. so I'd love to hear what led you into becoming what you are and what you do
1: yeah I it's kind of a long journey and it's like it's got so many layers I um grew up in a home in which like a holistic lifestyle was very much part um of how we lived um I've been doing like yoga and meditation since I was eight or nine years old a healthy diet like movement all of those things However, I also had had a significant amount of trauma in my life. Yeah. I would say I was the person even in high school that people would come to be like, "What should I eat if I want to like do this?" Or like <laughs> like what herb should I take if I want like to focus when I study? And so about 4 years ago, I want to say I it just started to be a um a pattern like people were coming to me and they were like you've been through a lot but like you, you seem so calm and like so not anxious but you say you struggle with anxiety like what what do you do like how do you do that and so I was like okay this is a pattern maybe I should look into to something and so I started looking at programs and I was like I had massive imposter syndrome because I was like I need a license so people think that I'm legitimate And so I went to IIN, um, which was a great program. Of course, teaches you like nothing about anxiety, but like helped me to build a business and helped me to just learn more. And I've also gone to herbalism school since then. And I would say when my life really started to fall apart in my marriage, I would say that was like 2015, 2016. That's kind of when the bulletproof coffee trend started in the United States. And I was like, I'm going to try this out. And I started researching herbs. I'd been taking ashwagandha since I was a teen. So I was like very familiar with some of the Ayurvedic herbs. And I started like making this morning beverage be part of my morning ritual. And it was, there was something very healing about it. Like every single morning I'd be like, what do I need today? And I'd go in and I'd make this latte and I'd put it in a beautiful mug and I would sit and I would sip it while I would journal or I would meditate. And that experience, it sounds so simple and so small helped to, it was that grounding force that helped me to stay grounded through some of like the hardest years that were to come. And so then people started asking me about that and what I was doing there. And, somebody came to me one day and she's like, I can't function. I'm constantly anxious. I have like, it's all I think about and it just spirals. And I was like, I totally understand. I think I have some ways that I can help you. And we started working together. And within like a couple months, she's like, I woke up this morning and I had no anxiety and I've had anxiety for my entire life. And like, what you're doing is magic. And I was like, well, the reality is I'm giving you these tools, but it's, you're doing the work. Like it's, it's not me. Like I'm giving you these things you may not have been aware with of, but you are the one that's doing the work. And so that's when I started really just being like, okay, I'm here to help people. I'm here to show people that you can quite literally go through hell and back and come out on the other side. And not only just survive, but like thrive and love your life, and live from a grounded, connected place. Because the reality of anxiety is, it happens when we're not in our in the current moment, and we're not in our bodies. We're future tripping, we're past tripping, we're past tripping. That's leading to the future tripping, and like it becomes this like, for lack of better word, like mental masturbation that leads nowhere. And so that's kind of like how that journey of starting to work with women started, and it's unfolded it's evolved i i I collect new tools, trying new things with clients all the time. Sometimes you try things and it doesn't work for that person, so you have to go back to the drawing board and and um it's it's just really work that like I feel like that just needs to be done. I think so many people today struggle with daily anxiety and then like for somebody like me I also have PTSD so I don't just have anxiety I have anxiety induced PTSD and PTSD induced anxiety and so there's like so many layers and people don't understand you can be anxious cuz you're dehydrated you can be anxious because you're tired you can be anxious because you're in an environment that's not supporting you and you might not be aware of that, but your body is lit up and is like, this isn't working for me. And so it's not just you're anxious because you're in your mind. There's so many elements to it. And that's why the work is so um,
0: intricate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I have, that was amazing. I feel <laughs> like I have, I have so many things I wanted to touch on with that. I, you know, as someone who struggled with anxiety most of my life, and I think when I was a kid, I was like a ball of anxiety, like couldn't fall asleep at night when I was a kid. And I would always utilize like extracurricular activities. Like I was in like every club at school and, and I didn't realize that I was trying to solve my anxiety yeah. through just overdoing. And that's always been my style of dealing with my anxiety is like overdoing things because I don't want to feel how I'm feeling. I don't want to be in my body. Mm-hmm. And then I think once I got sober, everything just came like, it was like, I was driving in a car really fast for a really long time. And then I had to slam on the brakes and like everything in the trunk flew to the front. And it was like, okay, I have to, to learn how to, to deal with this anxiety because I I can't drink it away anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't smoke it away anymore. It's like, I, I, (laughs) I have to learn how to live with this in my body. And and i loved that you touched on that like morning grounding routine because i always thought i was like i'm spontaneous i don't like i like traveling i don't i don't like routine i don't like schedules and and then you know a few years into my sobriety i remember i i like every time i got home from a vacation i would be a disaster and so, finally someone pointed out like i think you're just someone that like has to live in routine and it's mm-hmm. like i finally had to realize that morning routine, whether it be ten minutes, thirty minutes, yes. if I don't start my day like that, it's it typically like does not does not go very well. So that's yeah. something that I always encourage. Always on my first calls with my coaching clients, I ask like, What does your morning routine look like? Like how do you start your day? Um, because it's just it's so I don't know. I you know, I think I used to think that your morning routine had to be like an hour or so and yeah just learning like you can just start so small and it can make such a big difference.
1: I, we are creatures of habit and I think we allow the mind is the most beautiful thing. It's also the darkest, most hideous thing. Like it can take you from one side to the other. And like, that's something I focus on a lot with my clients. I'm like, your, you your mind will make you believe anything and it's also beautiful because it's like, it also protects you. So your body stores everything and it's always there. But your mind is like, oh, I don't remember what that happened because it knows like that's something maybe you can't handle right now or or maybe not, now is not the time in this place. And the thing with the the daily routine is that you get – it's not about it. This is the biggest thing that I talk about with clients is you don't want it to be habitual. You want it to be a ritual. Mm. You want to, it's with intention. You're waking up each morning, maybe it's 10 minutes earlier. And if all I get in, like some mornings, all I get in is making my latte and like writing down things, three things I'm grateful for, and maybe like three minutes of breath work or something. But it's always something because it is my touchstone each day. And if no other part of the day is for me that part of the day is for me and I grew up in the in the culture that I grew up in morning practice it's called sadhana it's actually a part of my name like (laughs) it's like I, I like I'm it's my destiny here on this earth this lifetime to to have a morning practice spiritual practice but it was something that I've done since I was really little and it's evolved so much because even though i grew up in this beautiful like yoga calm it, it was also which we can talk about this later a cult so that caused its own um <laughs> that its own problems but there's been times in my life where i've just stepped away and like not done any morning practice and things just have not gone well for me in those periods yeah. of time because i don't Honestly, when I've stepped away from it and not doing it's because I'm trying to run away from something that's happening inside me that I don't want to deal with. So that, that moment of just being brutally honest with yourself and being like, how am I this morning? This morning sucks. I'm down. I don't feel good. I don't like myself. I don't like my life, like whatever. And it's like at least you had that one honest moment with yourself and tomorrow you can have a different one. And so it's about, it's really about you and honoring yourself so you can carry yourself into your day from an honest place.
0: I love that. And I, I find myself doing that too. The times I have stepped away from, like my thing is journaling every Mm -hmm. morning and the times that I step away from that, it's always because there's something that I need to journal about that I'm not doing. Yep and i was even talking to a client this week you know she was saying how she all she's been doing is listening to audiobooks and i was like i do like when i'm in a place where i don't want to address something i will just listen to podcasts like all day because i i can't stand any blank space in my head because i know something's going to come up so it's like having these touch points where if I don't want to journal, all I'm doing is listening to podcasts. I'm not listening to music because music's so moving for me and it brings stuff up.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And if I can't stand silence, it's because there's, there's something there that I'm, that I'm not, that I'm choosing not to look at. A hundred percent. So I think with, you know, anxiety, I think it's like twofold where we, we want to have practices that are more like, I would probably call them like more like investment practices where mm-hmm. they're kind of putting they're setting us up for a good day they're yeah. kind of these things that we're like putting in our spiritual tank to help us deal with whatever comes our way and then i also think there are also practices that when anxiety hits like mm-hmm. in the moment what do i do yeah. to help kind of control that so can you you know kind of speak to that and then talk about you know what are some examples of of those practices that you help your clients with
1: absolutely i that's so very much true it's it's a long game and a short game it's the long game is like just committing yourself to doing the deeper work which is what we were talking about before we started recording of like i have clients who are like i don't understand i feel like i was doing better before we started doing this work and i feel like i'm in a worse place now than we started and i have to explain my favorite analogy is you know when you go outside and it's cold and you don't have gloves on and your hands freeze and you come back inside and there's that really uncomfortable moment, like where you like stretch your hand and they're tingling, and they're burning and they feel like they're on fire, but they feel like they're on ice at the same time until they finally like thaw and warm up. It's kind of what starting a healing path is like. There's going to be uncomfortable moments and that's why people avoid it because they don't want to get into those uncomfortable moments. But what they don't realize is they're already uncomfortable all the time. It's just a different type of discomfort. And it's like, do you want to live your life in that uncomfortable all the time or moments of discomfort where you get honest and you dig deeper and you heal so that you can overall live a happier, more door filled life?
0: I'm. You guys can't see me, but I'm. I nodded (laughs) that whole way because that happens to me all the time with people going through breakups. It's like you, you, you have to kind of dive into the wound. You do.
1: You got to pick the scab off and dig around and swim around in it. And that sounds disgusting, but it's the reality. You have
0: to. And I think, especially with people, for people with anxiety like Mm -hmm. me, I have stayed in very uncomfortable situations for very long periods of time because I. I'm anxious about change and I, you know, there have been times where I'd rather stay in a really bad situation because I don't want to explore what it looks like outside of it.
1: And we'll get to that because that was my exact scenario. But I, so for, like you said, long-term, like journaling, meditating, moving your body, you know, eating a healthy diet. Like I said, there's so many things that go in, like, So what I normally do with clients is I'm like, let's make a list of things when your anxiety pops up. The moment you feel it, if you can catch it is the best, but I know what happens sometimes you're like, ah, it's kind of there. And then you're like in the middle of a panic attack all of a sudden, you're like, how the fuck did I get here? So the first thing is like remove, if you can, like taking yourself to a bathroom, getting outside something if you can get outside and you can put your bare feet in dirt or on the grass or even on pavement something that again you're out of your you're starting you're either completely out of your body or you're starting to leave your body something that's going to anchor you in and that cool or warm earth underneath you is going to do that if you can't do that just taking a deep breath and like really feeling your feet underneath you checking in with kind of like taking a scan and being like, okay, feet, ankles, calves, like a body scan is really great. And then left nostril breathing is my thousand percent anxiety, one Oh one nine one one breath. Um, I'll do it with clients even just for like three breath cycles on the phone and they'll be like, holy crap. And I'm like, yeah. And there's a whole science behind it. It's Right nostril helps to balance. If I remember correctly, it's the right side of your brain. It activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest. It pulls you again, when it comes to anxiety, I can't stress enough that your, your breath is your, is everything. Because if you notice when you get anxiety, your breath is the first thing you lose. And so left nostril breathing is literally just like pressing onto your right nostril to plug it, and then you inhale deeply through your left, exhale deeply through your left, your mouth is closed the whole time. I love to do it to eight. I also have pretty expansive lung capacity. I just tell people do it to as much as you can. If you can only get to one, start with one. Inhale to one, exhale to one. And then when that feels okay, go up to two. And then when that feels okay, go up to three and kind of like work up. But what's happening with The reason breath is also so important is because your mind can't focus on two things at once. And so, if you're literally counting and focusing on your breath, noticing how your lungs are expanding in your chest, how your belly is moving out, how your ribs are expanding out and then falling back in, you're forced again to come back into your body and back into the present moment and being able to be like, okay, there's no lion in the room right now. So, I'm going to be in this moment right now. And I will focus on something later. So left nostril breathing, also just deep breathing. Like if you're like out in public and you are like, this is gonna look weird and you can't escape to a bathroom or a car, really just inhale to four, hold for four, exhale to four. Um, you can also hold to four if you want and do the whole box breathing. I just like the triangle. And it's really honestly kind of playing a game with your mind. I had a client the other day with a huge win. This is a client who couldn't function really like anxiety ruled her every day and she was like yeah I was working on the other day and I could feel this anxiety starting to come up and I was like all right I'm gonna finish this two hours of work that I have and then I'll give myself 20 minutes to freak out after and she got to the end of the two hours and she was like and I didn't have any anxiety and I didn't need to freak out and I was just like yes this is exactly what we're working towards (laughs) And so. Also, just really shutting your mind down. In the sense that, and this is like the third tool. Once you've done the left nostril breathing, every time a thought of negativity or um, anxiety leading or self-loathing, self-hatred, anything like that comes in, you you don't engage with it. And this is the biggest trick with with meditation. People are like, I can't just get my mind to stop, and I'm, you can't. There's that's physically impossible. Even when you're sleeping, your mind is going because you're dreaming. (laughs) Like Your subconscious is always moving, right? And so it's about not engaging. So it's like when a thought comes in, it's like, okay, I'm not going to engage with that right now. And it's hard at first. And sometimes you feel insane because you're doing it like 10,000 times a day. But you start to notice like those thoughts come in less frequently. And when they do, the letting go of them is just way easier and so those are kind of like my three like main tools. I have like a whole workbook of tools, but those are like my three get outside, take a walk, like get in your body, use your breath, deactivate your engaging mind.
0: It's so interesting and I I've never tried the left nostril breathing but definitely <sighs> something I will be incorporating and I I'm so glad you brought up the, like when you were talking about how just counting your breath, like how you can't focus on two things at once. And I never knew why this worked, but when I would get panic attacks in early sobriety, I had this reading that I did every day and I read it so much that I had it memorized. So I would just recite it in my head. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to recite this. I was always, I call myself a, uh, I lay on the carpet when I'm anxious. It's like my like thing that I love to do.
1: Yeah. Laying on the ground because it's grounding. Yeah. There's a reason that works because it is quite literally you're grounding yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But getting, yeah. Getting outside, laying down, like reciting something in my Mm -hmm. head always worked really well. And I'm also so glad you brought up that point about meditation because I, I didn't grow up in quite like as like progressive spiritual family as you did, but I will say my dad's meditated since, I was born and mm-hmm. he's, you know, very much into that. And when I was struggling with anxiety, he would always, you know, kind of push me to try it. And I had that same thought of like, I'm just not good at it. I just can't do it because yeah. I can't shut my head up. And then finally someone's like, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. Like you might in a 10 minute meditation, you might get 15 seconds of of like calm, of quiet. Yeah. And then as you keep doing it, it might go to 30 seconds or a Mm -hmm. minute and just being able to learn how to, you know, let those thoughts just pass by. And I've, you know, I've tried different like visualizations things Mm -hmm. where I see like a thought as like a boat on a river going by Mm -hmm. or a car going by, or my mom would always teach me the trick when I was little because I had such a hard time sleeping because I was anxious. And she would say, okay, when a thought comes in, like, think about it like a balloon, and then just visualize yourself, like, letting it go. Um, and so meditation, I'd say probably in the last year, I finally, like, have committed to to doing it regularly. And that's another thing, too, that I tend to avoid when I
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. And that's the thing about meditation. I... My relationship with meditation has evolved and changed so much. I used to think unless I got up at 4.30 every morning and did an hour of yoga and an hour of meditation, that's the only way I could be like a spiritual being, which is so wrong. So don't don't take that and think I'm saying that's right. It's so wrong. Meditation is a thousand percent not about that moment that you're sitting in meditation. It's a thousand percent about learning to discipline your mind and I don't use discipline in like a regimented way it's more of like you have to learn to be able to look at these shadow thoughts and not let them consume you and that is so easier said than done but what happens when you give yourself that 10 minutes every day, or even I tell people start with three minutes, like just do three minutes of left nostril breathing every morning and you will notice overall your anxiety will be less because you're priming yourself for that. And your body will also learn, oh, we're we're relaxing now because you're doing the left nostril breathing so it'll work more quickly. But it's about when you're not sitting on your meditation pad and something happens uh, and this is a very like Buddhist philosophy, but of like non-attachment to the scenario that's happening. And all of this stuff I'm saying, this is not easy work. I'm not, it's, Yeah. I, I still, like you said, I still avoid meditation sometimes. I still, like I said, I have PTSD. I have episodes. I will have panic attacks. I just know how. I think the biggest thing that happens is people feel a panic attack coming on or feel anxiety coming on and they get anxiety about their anxiety.
0: Yes. That's been a huge lesson for me is not to judge my feelings. Yep.
1: And so that's another tool. And I tell my clients, like my clients have access, like they can text me anytime. I'm very good about boundaries about like when I respond, but I will literally be like, when you're feeling anxious, text me and be like, I'm anxious today. And having somebody validate that and being like, okay, like well, let's talk. Like, let's, are you in your body? Did you go for a walk? Like, did you try these tools? What's going on with you this morning? And giving something a name is the most powerful thing. Think about all of the people in this world who have traumatic things happen to them and they, they they hold it in themselves and they never tell anybody. And how then you hear of them getting like physical illnesses and all these things because they're holding it in. Giving something a name calls it out. It brings it out of the shadow into the light and then gives it permission to be able to be seen and and heard and felt and healed.
0: Absolutely. And that was going to be kind of the last thing I asked on on this piece is like there are times when I'm like such an action person to get out of feelings. Like give me a list of 12 (laughs) things to do and I will do all of them because I (laughs) don't want to feel this way. (laughs) But there are times when I might meditate and journal and exercise and drink water and get a good night's sleep and yeah. eat really well. And I still feel anxious <laughs> and just having to be like, okay, this is, I'm just anxious right now. And it, there's, it's not that there's something wrong necessarily, like it's just there. And I kind of just, and then, so like, how do you help people learn to accept that there are days when it's yeah. just like,
1: it's so true. Like there's those days where you go down the list of everything and you're like this isn't working. Um it's a couple things. I think it depends on the person exactly what's going on, but part of it might be like what is it that you're not wanting to look at? Let's like look at that. Like is there something underneath that that's like are you not processing some anger? Do you really just need to cry? Like, do you need to go scream into a pillow, put on some M&M and like rage and thrash your body around? Like, what is it that you're avoiding is one of them. And then the other thing is like, some days are just like that. And that's when you pull out like your CBD or like your kava, some reishi, like you, you pull those things out and you're like, I'll try this. And some days it's just surrendering to okay today is gonna to be an anxious day, and it is what it is. I'm gonna do my best to continue like to breathe and keep myself in my body, but this is here, and it's uncomfortable and and I hear it, and it's okay, and that's the thing is like we're so afraid of it, and it is a message of some sort it doesn't mean it's a huge message but it means there's something going on and honestly like and so many of us are empaths there's days where you're picking up on something that you have no idea what you're picking up on and I'm like okay today might be one of these days like Monday this this week I woke up and I was so down I started my period I was just like irritated at the world (laughs) and I was like I'm gonna give myself today I have therapy at two I'm gonna make my latte I'm gonna journal I'm gonna meditate I'm gonna do all that stuff and then I'm gonna lay on my couch I don't have clients today and I'm gonna watch Harry Potter and that's what I did and I was like and tomorrow if I still feel down I'm gonna honor that I'm feeling down but I'm gonna do everything that I need to do and just like push through because there's a very find balance of learning when you need to honor it and when you need to push through it. And I think part of what happens is there's an indulgence in can be an indulgence in indulging it and not being like, okay, I have shit I have to do today. That's for my livelihood. I can't avoid this anymore. I feel down. I'm going to text a friend. I'm going to do all these things but I'm also going to keep going today. It's finding that balance because I think a lo- some people just keep going all the time to numb it and some people indulge and just like, are like, I can't function. And there's no judgment on either side of that, but there's that balance of honoring where you're at, feeling everything you're feeling and doing what you need to do to take care of yourself because that's, uh, that's a deeper le- level of self-care that, that most people haven't gotten to yet.
0: This is like the perfect segue to start talking about the breakup because I literally have a lesson in one of my courses about finding your balance Mm -hmm. of, because when you go through something as hard as a breakup, yeah, we do need to feel the feelings in order to heal. But like, we can't feel them all the time. I say like, we turn into like a puddle. Like we just, we can't. It's like
1: if you acquiesce to being an empath and you just take on everybody's shit all the time. Like you won't there's no there's no functioning in a world like that.
0: Exactly. And you still have a job and you still have And
1: it's codependent.
0: (laughs) There's also that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you can't we can't complete so we have to find that balance of like, okay, what do I need to do to get through my day to day? Like what am I gonna do to distract myself and that's okay. And like when I have The capacity and the space, like how am I going to move into that? Mm -hmm. Let me feel my feelings. Like let me pull out my journal. Let me do this stuff. But like we don't necessarily have to do. It's not like we're going to do. We can't distract ourselves for six months straight and then have everything come up and then
1: have it just be healed. Yes. Yeah. A lot of
0: people believe that because they've distracted themselves into thinking that they have healed. So I would love for you to you know give you know, description of of your breakup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll get into more like, I feel like this is like probably where the rubber met the road in terms yeah. of being able to like help yourself as you've helped yeah. so many other people. Um, and I want to make a note, I will be bringing her back on for a part two of this episode, just because her story is so beautiful. And what she what came out of her breakup, I think, is really beautiful in, in the terms of, of codependency. And so I think, So we will definitely be having her on to talk more about codependency. But in terms of, you know, the anxiety and everything that went into that, I'd love for you to speak on that.
1: Yeah. So my ex, I was married. Um, We were together for 12 years, married for eight. And to be truthfully honest, it was never a healthy relationship. There were like, of course, there's always like silver lining moments, but when you're in it and, and you... You don't want to go through that discomfort of getting out. You cling to those silver lining moments, and you're like, "Yeah, there's all this, but like the love is this, and like there's this and this and this." And I'll say, we we grew up. We had very similar traumas, and um, we grew up in the same community together, so we understood that from each other, and we very much trauma bonded. Um, which if you don't know anything about it, I just recommend you look it up because it's uh it's really eye opening, and I think. Once I learned about that, I was like, well, shit. Oh, this explains pretty much everything. He struggled with addiction. Um, and it was a emotionally and verbally abusive relationship. Um, but there was like this element of like, but he makes me feel so safe and like, um, but he's provided so much protection for me and all of these things. And we did a full formal like connection where we talked about everything that happened in relationship to addiction. And I thought that was like a new starting point. I was like, everything's out on the table. I know everything I'm willing to forgive and, and move and move forward. And that just didn't happen. Um, My mom got sick January of last year and had to go through a six month chemo process. And in that time, it, he, the person that I thought was so, going to be there for me to support me through that was not. And it just got really ugly. And there's kind of two turning points of like, he actually was like, I want a divorce and i was like let's try a separation like let's just like take some time i'm a big believer in separations my parents separated for 4 years after 25 years of marriage and got back together so i was like maybe maybe that's something and i, I i'm going to be very honest in saying like when we separated i was very much like we are getting back together um so i moved out i got my own place for the first time in my entire life um I was terrified, like to say the least. I very much came from the mindset that we were soulmates and there was nothing we couldn't work through and I, I nobody could love me like him and I was never going to find a love like that again and I wasn't going to be able to survive without him. And the two turning points was one I was talking to Danica one day and she asked me how long I'd been keeping him from his bottom. And I was on a walk and I literally stopped walking. And I was like, honestly, probably 12 years. And she said, that's a good answer. As long as you're there, you are the bottom and there's no, nothing underneath you. You will be the blame. You will be the reason for everything. And I was like, it's a hard pill to swallow, but you're probably right. And then the other one was my mom and I were talking and she goes, there's no way in hell if you had a client that was in this scenario that you would support them in staying.
0: When they're coming out of a relationship like that, I go, if your best friend was in that relationship, what would you tell her? Huh. Like we we have different standards for, yeah. for other people, but not the same for ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I... So we separated. I got my own place and within by October. That was in June. By October, I was like I can't go back. I can't. Yeah, right now sucks. This is so painful. I'm the divorce diet is really fucking real. There were days where two bites of yogurt is all I could get down and it was like this vicious. I remember sitting in my therapist's office pre-covid and crying being like i'm so hungry but i'm so nauseous and i'm hungry because i'm like i'm nauseous because i'm hungry but everything i think about eating makes me nauseous and it was like somebody who comes from i never had an eating disorder but i definitely have body dysmorphia and like some disordered eating it was just trigger so it was like adding another trigger on top of on top of that but i was like i I can't risk another relapse. I can't risk being lied to. I can't risk the gaslighting and feeling insane anymore. Like, I deserve better than that. And I didn't think that I did, but now I know that I do. And I just couldn't. I was like, if I go back, it's going to say far more about me than it does about him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was the thing that kept me going. And so I my tool, I, I started being like, okay, every morning I'm going to get up. I'm going to journal about how I'm feeling. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to dance. I'm going to move my body. I'm going to keep myself accountable with food. And like, even if it's like every hour I take a bite of something, at least I'm, I mean, I would like make my bulletproof coffee in the morning and put like a tablespoon, and a half of ghee in it because I'd be like, well, at least I'll get this fat in this morning. <laughs> Like like smoothies were my best friend. Um, you know, things like that. And and I remember sitting and my PTSD was so flared, um, for several reasons. I'd started dating, which was a whole like triggering thing. And then also like, even though I'm the one that decided to leave, one of my biggest triggers is abandonment. And so I was like, my body was my brain was on fire all the time. And so my therapist was like, you don't want to do prescription medication, which is totally fine. How do you feel about like using cannabis right now? And I was like, I'm open to it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It changed my life. I'm a huge proponent. If that's something that feels good for you. I also know there's other like elements to that. Um, But it, for me, I came from a very anti-cannabis background. Um, I thought that people were numbing themselves. I thought that people were like lowering their vibration and shrinking their aura and like all this like spiritual bullshit, so to speak. And for me in the way that I was using it, what it allowed for me to do was feel my emotions actually even deeper, but from a different perspective and not react to them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And I think what I'm hearing too is like, you opened yourself up and we're willing to see things differently and willing to try things yeah. differently. Because Absolutely. I think when we step into something like a breakup and we're like, I'm doing this myself. Mm-hmm. I don't need help. I don't need support. Like, I know how to do this. I'm a capable person. And we just shut ourselves off to... The advice from friends and family, or you know, seeking outside help. Yeah. It's, so the fact that you were like, I, I don't know how to handle this, and so I'm, I'm, I need help.
1: Yeah, I had no clue. I, I was like, I know what I can do. I know, and I was also really battling this like idea of like, you're failing, you're giving up, and. Like, this maybe – maybe this was your karma and, like, are you, like, trying to escape it? Like, there was so many little, like, pieces of, like, subconscious things going through my mind. And, you know, you hear – I was on Instagram, like, a month ago, and I was, like, on the, like, find reels page or whatever. And there was this woman that was, like, divorced – or what she – marriage is forever and I was like wow that really comes from somebody who hasn't been in an abusive relationship that yeah. needs to get out of there. yeah <laughs> like yeah. that's really because there still is it's 2020 and there's still that judgment mm-hmm. and with addiction too the partner gets blamed for so much shit and that's where like I started really and like I this will be a segue for next time but like really digging into my codependency work and and like I told you before we started recording four years ago if someone called me codependent I would like have the most ridiculous reaction to it I'd be so reactionary I'd be like you don't know what you're talking about I'm not codependent blah 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 now I'm like, I'm a recovering codependent. Like it is, there's no way I'm not with my story and my life. And this is the thing I did not become codependent from my relationship with my ex. I think I sought that relationship out because I was codependent and it allowed me to continue to play out that cycle until I decided I was done playing that cycle out.
0: No, absolutely. And I think I think when we go through a breakup, there are, you know, I've said this on this podcast before, but there, it's like an onion. It's like, we have to Mm -hmm. dig through different layers, but I also like, I don't think we have to get into the deep stuff necessarily like right away. Sometimes in the beginning, it's like, how am I just going to like make it through the first month or how am I going to make it through today? And then when we're ready, I think more will be revealed as to, you know, what's coming up. Um, And I want to, I thought it was really interesting, you know, you speaking about what you did right after the breakup and like without looking at the extra help that you got, but you, you basically said like you did the same things you were doing before.
1: I did, but I got really honest with myself about it. I was again, like I wasn't habitually doing it. I was making it my time. And I I knew I couldn't do the future journaling. I will say that. Like that was something I did really. I was like, when things were really falling apart, that was just, I was like desperately like putting that into like that future journal. And I remember moving like this place that I'm in now is the hugest sign of our power of manifesting because the way it happened was the house we were in, we were going to just sign another lease. I was going to stay in it and get a roommate. And then, like, the closer it got, I was like, I do not want a roommate right now. Like, that's the last thing I need is somebody in my space. And so we decided to, like, give up the house. It was, like, the day we had to give them our notice of whether we are going to sign a new lease or not. I went to a coffee shop. I'm like, I'm going to go look for apartments. Um, I probably emailed 30 places. Not one did I hear back from I had that morning sat down and written down everything I wanted in my journal. I was like, this is what I want. Like, and it was, it was physical things, but it was also like a place I can heal, like a place I can find myself again. Cause I didn't realize until I was two, three, four months out, I had completely lost myself. My light was almost completely gone. And I, because I poured everything into somebody else Mm -hmm. and nothing into me. And I felt like a fraud too. Cause I'm like, I'm coaching people to live their best lives and I'm not honoring my own life. Um, I'm living for someone, I'm living in hopes that somebody else lives up to this expectation that I want them to be. And they, they probably can't do that. Like some people just don't have the capacity to do those
0: things. And it wasn't and, anything against you. You know. had
1: nothing to do. I said to him once I was like, "Why am I not enough for you to do this?" Why am I not enough? Yeah. And it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> like yeah. zero. But you it feels so personal. Absolutely. So I wrote all these things down that I wanted and I'm on Next the next Door app and it's like one bedroom apartment, like nice area in Portland. And I called him and he's like he's like, don't just come look at it. Like photos don't really do it justice. And I walked in the front door and I literally was like, this is my home. Like, no, like, and I was like, can I have 24 hours? Like, this is the only place I've looked at. And the next morning I was like, I'll take it. And I moved in like two weeks later. And so I was like, wow, when you make a decision that aligns with your higher self, the universe is like, girl, here's your reward. (laughs) and every day I wake up and I'm like this is my place and that was the other thing that unfolded after being away from it for months is like I realized how much I dressed for somebody else how I talked for someone else how I didn't do all these things and I was like interesting how much of myself have I been holding back for how long and so I went this process of like Who's Amrit Sadna? Like, who is this woman? Like, rediscovering who I am, and maybe discovering who I am for the first time. Experiencing myself in relationship to other men, and how what I'm willing to tolerate and what I'm not willing to tolerate, and and in relationship to female friendships, and all of these things kind of unfolded. And I will say, even though the last year and a half has been really hard it doesn't compare to the 12 years of not feeling safe really and even with all the shit I've dealt with with dating and a divorce and like all of that I'm still happier than I've ever been in my entire life and every morning I wake up and I'm so ridiculously proud of myself that it's worth like all of it
0: yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I, I really hope those of you that are listening can, you know, hear that hope and, you know, believe it for yourself because it is there. I truly think breakups, while they are one of the more painful things we'll go through in our lives, they are one of the most beautiful opportunities that that we'll get to like really get to know ourselves again because I think as motivated as we can be we're typically mostly motivated by pain like we'll do the work when we don't yeah want to work this way so breakups provide a large amount of motivation in the form of pain and <laughs> so the fact that so you you know you typically have two choices like are you gonna you know let this keep you stuck which for long periods of time or are you going to harness this and do what you did and like let me dig into this a little bit deeper let me look at some patterns that i've had my whole life like yeah. what can i how can i harness this and use it to my my advantage um yeah. and then the last question i have for you in terms of anxiety and it was something that you had mentioned to me before is when it came to like you deciding to to walk away you talk about the difference between anxiety and intuition and i think a lot of people who are either in a relationship that they're not sure about they'll say like they have this voice in their head that's like this isn't right this isn't right and they're like oh i'm just overthinking it like i'm being you know i'm being too hard on the person i'm doing all these things so they write it off as like anxiety or anxious thoughts But then there's these like very deep guttural feelings that we get that I believe to be like our intuition. How do you, how are you able to make that differentiation to walk away? And then how, like, how do you help people determine what is the difference between anxiety and intuition?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think my body had been screaming at me for a really long time. You know, I had like in the last few years of our marriage, I'd put quite a bit of weight on to, it's funny to make myself bigger, but also make myself smaller because make myself less, not saying that weight's less attractive, but like to kind of hide myself more. I'd been getting like, I'd been getting sick a lot. Like there was just like a lot of things that were, were lining up and I just, I wasn't listening. And Anxiety is a is a physical feeling, yes, it's what's happening in your mind, but it is a physical feeling, and for me, anxiety like sits my anxiety will sit like anywhere from like my chest, my solar plexus to down into my stomach. It depends on like what's going on, but like it kind of like sits and it moves around and it has like a frantic like fluttery, ungrounded feeling intuition. There's none of that. It is a knowing. And yeah, you can like mind play with it and like turn it into anxiety, but like it's a, it's like a, it's literally like a root is like pulling you down into the earth and there's nothing that can change what that feeling is.
0: So find that. Even if my intuition is telling me something that I don't like, it's still very calming.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. You're like, Ugh, I, I do not like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to feel that, but whatever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this, but it's, it's like, I, I loved what you said about anxiety being very fluttery. Cause it is, it's like, yep. it's very shaky. It's frantic. It's, it's frantic. It's
1: fina- It's like, it's, it, um, it's very ungrounded. Um and I find that for me, like I said, it was a moment of he actually like left the country. Like we in like August, I think he like took off to go for these travels. And it was December. He'd been gone for a couple months and it was December and I was like, I want this marriage to stay in 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 this year. I don't I'm done. It was such a, like, non-moving feeling in my body because every time I thought about going back, the anxiety would, like, just, like, ramp up immediately. And so I actually filed without telling him because I knew he would try to convince me otherwise, because at that point it had flipped, like he wanted to get back together. And I was like, I just can't, like, I do love you, but my idea of love is really fucked up and I can't trust it right now. And so I need to like, I love you. I care about you. I really wish you the best. I hope you heal. I hope you find happiness, but like I can't do this to myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I filed and then I had to tell him I filed, which was a whole thing. But it was such a grounded feeling and once you learn, like once you start to tap into that muscle flex of like I literally just talked to a client about this yesterday. Um and I said, she's trying to pick between two different jobs. And I was like, picture the job you currently have. Feel like close your eyes, feel how it feels in your body, feel how it feels when you go to work, like notice what's happening. And then let that go. And then picture this potential job and like feel that and just notice which one like feels grounded. And she was like, yeah, I got it. Like that's exactly like I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think a lot of people misconstrue anxiety as intuition because they think they think that that anxiety is telling them like this is wrong or this is right or whatever. But intuition just doesn't work like that. It's not. It's not. Fr- it's never, gonna feel anxiety, or, um, never going to feel frantic. Anxiety or intuition is never going to feel frantic. And once you get used to that feeling, it it really does just start to like come into play, and like you're like, okay, that's that's definitely intuition, and that's anxiety. But I know why people do confuse the two because we pl- like we play this game that anxiety is like some telling force.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, know, I hear about it a lot with people after they go through breakups. They'll say like. I still love him. I still like, I still miss them. So that must mean Mm -mm. that I meant to be with them. And I'm like, Mm -mm. unfortunately, that's not what that means at all. Mm -hmm." It's just, you know, that's your anxious thoughts. And of course, like you were with someone for a long period of time. Of course, you're going to miss them. It doesn't mean anything though.
1: It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And I, it might've been your, post actually it was months ago and it was like you can still you can m- miss something and not want it back yeah and that I actually wrote down and like put on my refrigerator because what I struggled with was my codependency coming in and being like I missed him but I don't like it was a guilt it was like but I don't want to be with him Interesting. Yeah. And does that make me a bad person? Like, I know all these things about him. He has so much trauma. Like, it's not his fault that he has all this trauma. Like, all the things we can rationalize and all the things I rationalized for 12 years. But then I was like, no, it's okay. Like, I can miss him. I can have a love for him. And I cannot want him back. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing with breakups and like letting go is a rejection, I truly believe is the most painful thing that we can experience as humans because we're meant to be with people. We're meant to have community. We thrive that way. Like you hear about these people that go off into the woods and die at like 65 and they don't know why they died, but they were alone and they didn't have connection and they didn't have community, right? and so part of its rejection but part of it is this i might be stuck at stepping out on a limb here but i was holding myself back yeah from who knows what kind of like potential greatness i could have in this life for fear for not believing i deserved any better for all of these things and if you're questioning whether you should be with someone or not, taking space is the most beautiful thing you can do because it can do one of two things. You can be like, actually really do want to be with that person. Or it can be like, actually, really do not want to be with that person. And that's why people are terrified of it because they are attached to the outcome. And that leads me to like the biggest thing was that was my trust in... surrender of letting go and being like okay universe I want something better than this what do you have for me guide me and I know that's so like intangible but it's one of the biggest things that got me through of just trusting there's something bigger happening and that this pain is somehow going to transform and be something bigger
0: that's so beautiful and I I I tell people that because I believe that to be true for everyone that's going through a breakup. Like there's Mm -hmm. something so beautiful out there, but I also know that if you're just going through a breakup, it's probably not what you want to hear like right now. But I tell people it's like, you don't have like, just keep it the tiniest little grain of sand in the back of your mind. Like just remind yourself like that is true. Even if you're not like totally feeling it right now, like it is true. So it's so important to like, remember that it's a blessing in disguise and like remember that by letting go of something like you're always going to be rewarded with something better and where there's space like it will be filled but you know it's so hard to remember and I'm so glad that you were able to to grasp onto that because you know it's
1: it's and trusting like it's not my person yeah like like it's not As humans, we're so attached to what we want, which is, is, there's a beauty in that of like, you know what you want. But like, I wanted a child with him so bad. And now I'm like, I'm so glad I did not have a child with him like this all would have been like so much harder. And so it's like you look back on these things that you think you wanted so bad that you were so desperate. You prayed for them. You wrote them down. You're like, I'm gonna manifest this, and they just like never manifested. And you're like, Why didn't? And now you're like, I'm so glad it didn't. Like I know why it didn't now. And so just like knowing that, yeah, we can have our desires and what we want, but like the universe is way smarter than we are, (laughs) and knows that there's a bigger picture, and it's what people call blind faith, right? Like of like, but you can't just have blind faith. You still have to also do the work.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You have to, you still have to take those actions every day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can't just wake up every morning and be like, well, I'm sad and not do anything to like transform the sadness. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest misunderstanding of people in general with like manifestation is that they think they just have to write it down and then there's no action that comes from it. And it's like, no, like anything really, truly most things in life that are worth your energy take work. Yeah. It doesn't mean it has to be hard, brutal work, but like it takes an energetic exchange.
0: Yeah. I love the saying, like, you can't pray for food while sitting in a cave. Like No. Like, it's just like, no. You can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I just think you are the most beautiful example of doing the work and being willing to to see things a different way. And, you know, I think your story is going to provide a lot of hope to the people listening to it and I'm so excited to have you on Thank again you. <laughs> to talk more about codependency because you know we've talked you know off podcasts but we have you know I, we have very similar stories mm-hmm. with with codependency and and you know still being I would still say like I am such a work in progress when it
1: comes oh to- I'm not at the end because I don't, don't know if that journey is ever ever done
0: yeah yeah it's so-
1: it's constant like battling with with how your brain was wired and how you want to be.
0: Yeah. So I'm so excited to have you on again. Can you share with people how they can find you, follow you, potentially work with you? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, my Instagram handle is bodyblisslife. Um, I am bodyblisslife.com. All of my services are on my website. You can um, schedule a free discovery call with me where we connect and see if we're going to be a good fit for one another. Cause that's, sometimes it's just not um and I'm yeah I am taking new clients right now so that's open and I also have a lot of other offerings of like just herbal sessions like one on just like single anxiety coaching sessions if you just need like a few tools like there's there's a multitude of things available and Thank you so much for having me on. I really
0: loved talking I love talking about <laughs> it. We were like, we had a call last week and I'm like, I have a feeling where we could talk for like hours, hours? <laughs> yeah. um, but I will put all of her info in the show notes, but thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to have you on again. Yeah, thank you. Me too. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to yourbreakupbestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself stay connected with loved ones. And the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.